<laughs> All right. A little Star Wars and a heavy metal at the end there. All right. Well, have you ever misunderstood a song lyric? And, and it made sense to you for a long, long time until you finally heard what it really was. I'll give you a few of my favorites. Uh, the Eurythmics. This goes back a little bit. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams are made of cheese. Remember that? <laughs> that's actually not what they sang. They said, are made of these. These, that's different. Or how about Nirvana's Smell Like Teen Spirit? Here we are now in containers. <laughs> that's not what they said. Does anyone know what they really said? Entertain us. Yes, very different meaning. Very different. Or Macy Gray's I Try. And though I try to hide it, it's clear. I blow bubbles when you are not here. Do you remember that song? Probably not the way I just sang it. <laughs> Actually, the lyrics are, my world crumbles when you are not here. She wasn't blowing bubbles. That's very different. Or Elton John's Tiny Dancer. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> All right, do you remember that song, Hold the, Who's the Boss? No, that's not what he was saying. Actually, I have another one from Ariana Grande. It's a song called One Last Time. And I, I, I'm almost certain I know what she's saying, but I'm, I'm, I need you to listen to it. But put on your 12-year-old boy uh, hat for a second. Listen to this. See if you hear what I hear. Okay. Now, the lyrics say she's saying, I know I should have fought it. But that's not what I heard. Let's, let's do it one more time. Just listen. <laughs> At least she was being honest, right? <laughs> now, I'm not going to tell you what I thought I heard because my parents are here. But I think you might have heard what I heard. But sometimes we go through life and we're humming along to lyrics that actually were not intended by the artist. And we're in a series called Bad Lip Reading because there are phrases that actually have been passed along. And if you've grown up in America, even in the South, you have, may have been the victim of cultural Christianity where you've heard things that were supposed to be attributed to God or even something that Jesus said or something from the scriptures that actually isn't there. And this can actually do real damage when people put words in God's mouth. If you've ever thought, you know, I don't want to be a Christian if that's what a Christian believes, or if that's how a Christian's supposed to vote, or if that's what the Bible says, if you've ever had that thought, then you may be a victim of cultural Christianity, a religious version of what Jesus intended to be a movement based on a relationship with God. See, Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to bring you and me into a relationship with God. And because of that relationship, it changes how we live and how we see the world. And so I want you this morning to have an open heart and open mind that, that maybe you have some issues in trusting God, not on what he said, but on what's been misrepresented as him saying. And there's a phrase that you may have even said, you may have even believed, you may have even heard, which is this, God will never give you more than you can handle. 
Now, this is like uh, misunderstood song lyrics. There is a verse that says this, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. So that's, that's an actual statement from the scriptures, but, but that's different than God will not give you more than you can handle. See, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul was writing a church in the city of Corinth, and he was telling them that God would never allow you to be tempted without also providing you a way of escape. In other words, you don't have to say yes when you experience those dark thoughts in your mind. It could be a struggle you've had your entire life. It could be a generational struggle passed down from generation to generation. But there is always a way out. You are not predestined to sin, to struggle. You may be predisposed towards that. But you actually have a choice. See, this statement is about temptation, which we'll talk about next week as we deal with the phrase, the devil made me do this, which is also not in the Bible. But instead, trials and sufferings are different than temptation. See, when life gives someone more than they can honestly handle, and they've been told this trite Christian phrase, but, but God would never give you more than you can handle, suddenly something has to give. Have you experienced moments in your life where you had way more than you could handle? I have. And in those moments, if we actually were humming along the wrong lyrics, if we believed, well, that's not, God would never give me more than I could handle, then suddenly our disappointment in God not coming through for us might lead us to leave God, not trust God. In fact, some of us have rejected a caricature of God based on misrepresentations by people who say they believe in him or follow Jesus that have not represented him well. But just like any relationship, you have expectations of God. And when he does not come through the way you want, when he does not answer the prayer the way you want, if you're not careful, it could actually embitter you towards him and keep you from trusting him. So if someone comes to you and they say, remember, God will never give you more than you can handle, you may kind of want to kick them in the shin and ask them if they can handle that. Don't do that. That's violent. I'm just metaphorically speaking, right? But this is an important topic because all around us, we see people facing all sorts of things that seem impossible to handle. It used to be that tragedies were only being reported on the nightly news. But now we actually may know people who are suffering or facing injustice and abuse. Our friends and family members are sharing painful stories all the time on their Facebook feed. We discover that people we know are sick and we can walk with them and see their journey facing cancer and discover they didn't make it. Whereas in the past, we may have just heard from a friend of a friend that someone didn't make it that we knew. But now we're invited into the pain. Far too many times I've had friends share heartbreaking stories of being harassed or even attacked because of the color of their skin. Even this week, women I know are sharing their tragic, horrible stories of being sexually assaulted and harassed. We see friends with whom we may have lost touch all of a sudden share their suicidal 
struggle online for the whole world to see, either as a cry for help or as a genuine farewell? What are we to do when we see so much suffering all around us? What do we do when we see so many people we care for struggle? What do we do when we're suffering? If we're not careful, we'll begin to wonder and even become embittered towards God for even allowing all this suffering. See, this cultural Christian answer to suffering is far too trite. God will never give you more than you can handle is not true. It's actually kept some of us from trusting God because we faced way too many times moments we could not handle. Moments when God seemed distant or non-existent or even ignoring our pleas. And so what I want to do is look at a, a, a man in the scriptures who faced more than he could handle and see how he responded to help us learn how to respond. Maybe you know the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And he actually grew up to become this prophet who was calling out to the Jewish people that the Messiah is coming. He was actually preparing the way for that Messiah. And in fact, many people would go out to the outskirts of the city and he was known for eating locusts and honey and he dressed oddly and he was an outcast. But throngs of people would come to him and they would be baptized. In fact, Jesus came and John just could not help himself. As soon as he saw him walking through the crowd towards the Jordan River in John chapter 1, verse 29, the scriptures tell us that John exclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If Jesus was trying to be incognito, his cover had just been blown. But John saw Jesus as the Messiah. He was the first to see who he really was. And that day, if you can only imagine, John the Baptist had the opportunity to baptize his Lord. Not because he needed to be, but as an example for the rest of us to follow. And in that moment, the voice of God could be heard and a dove, the Spirit of God, came into the moment. What an incredible experience. But see, the problem for John the Baptist was he was a prophet who would call out corruption and evil. And so it probably didn't surprise him when he was thrown into jail by the corrupt king Herod. He hadn't done anything illegal. He was just arrested for being John the Baptist, persecuted for his faith. This wicked king had placed him in jail. And although being in jail may not have surprised John the Baptist, what came next may have. See, the scriptures tell us that it appears John began to doubt. I, I thought the Messiah was coming and everything would be made right, but, but now I'm in jail and my life is being threatened. I'm a victim of a corrupt government, a corrupt king. He began to wonder, what if I had been wrong? What if Jesus wasn't the Messiah? What if I have led thousands astray? Maybe God's mad at me. Maybe I'm being judged, and that's why I'm in prison. And so John, when being visited by two of his closest disciples, sent them with a question to ask of Jesus. Luke 7, 20 tells us, John asks, Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? I didn't expect all this to happen. 
And now Jesus' response is actually stunning. Jesus was familiar with John's sorrows and grief and the attacks that the enemy, the darkness that Satan brings on people when they're weak and vulnerable. But Jesus didn't free him. Jesus actually sent a message back. He turned to them and said, it tells us in Luke 7, 22, Jesus says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. It would not have escaped John's memory. He knew that Jesus was referencing the prophecy of Isaiah about the Messiah. But what he was doing is he was asking John, do you trust me? Even if I don't come through for you, all I have to share is how I've come through for others. See, some of us have been derailed because of the sufferings of people we love. And if that's the case, I want to ask you, are you willing to trust when you see others that you love who actually experience healing? See, it's easy, we say it's easy, to trust God when, when everything goes according to what we want. But are we willing to trust God when things don't go the way we want it to for us, but they do seem to go well for others? Do we trust only a God who does miracles for us, or are we willing to trust in a God who does miracles? See, when Jesus had sent John's friends away, he said something that it's really stunning about John. It's in Luke 7, 28. He said, Jesus described John this way, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. By the way, that includes everyone, <laughs> right? And it's amazing, right after John questioned Jesus, Jesus pays this incredible compliment. He didn't see John as the culmination of his worst moments, his biggest struggles and doubt, he saw John for one he loves. Do you realize that's how God sees you? No matter what struggles, no matter what doubts you may have had, he sees you and is fond of you. He loves you. But see, what this passage reminds us is that God does not always answer with the speed we desire, nor is his answer always the deliverance we hope for but he will always send his grace and that will always be sufficient for those of us who trust him. If you know the rest of the story, Herodias, the corrupt King Herod's wife, just as a joke, just to show her power as a sick joke, ordered John the Baptist's head on a platter. John, this great man of faith, ended, his life ended in prison by being decapitated. See, God's ways are not our ways. I wonder if we can trust God even when things don't come through. Because if we base our faith on Him, on whether or not He gives us only what we can handle or not, we're going to be disappointed. But, if we can learn to have a faith that's bigger than our circumstances, then we can face anything in life. And so I just want to share with you three ways that God can actually bring good from our suffering. 
And because God is so miraculous and can bring good from our suffering doesn't mean he's the originator of our suffering. So the first is this. If God didn't give me more than I could handle, I would never entrust him with my circumstances. Instead, I would always choose myself as the primary navigator of my life. There's a great, great quote by Dallas Willard who once said, God's address is at the end of your rope. See, when you're finally ready to ask for help, when you're finally willing for God to be with you in the midst of the suffering, you'll find he was never not there. You know, one of the things I love about Jesus is he's always up front. He is the truth, and he shares the truth. Listen to what he says in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is so brutally honest. He does not say, I will never give you more than you can handle. Instead, he says what? In this world, I promise you this, you will have trouble. Are you encouraged now? <laughs> See, Jesus says, though, in the midst of your trouble, I can give you peace. And in fact, he reminds us this is not all there is, that, that ultimately he overcomes this world. See, rather than deliver us from our trials, God chooses to be with us in our trials. See, God gives us more than we can handle, but he doesn't give us more than he can handle. In other words, he doesn't give us more than we can handle with his help. See, we live in a fallen and broken world affected by the evil choices of others and disease and death and violence and natural disasters and injustice and oppression. These all point to the fact that something has gone wrong. These challenging circumstances remind us of our frailty and they can be what draws us closer to God rather than repel us. From him. See, it's easy to trust in God when everything is going great. But a deep faith is necessary to trust God when things are not going well at all. And a shallow faith gives up. I wonder, do you talk about trusting God? Or do you actually trust him? See, our faith is made real in the midst of suffering. A friend of mine once told me, he said, my faith was lip service before, but now that I have been willing to admit I'm a broken person and need God's help and need my wife's forgiveness, my faith has become real. My faith became real when I was willing to go to places I had been avoiding all my life. See, often what happens in the midst of pain, we give up, we bail. We bail in relationships, we bail on our dreams, we bail on God. There's a Harvard business professor who was trying to encourage entrepreneurs and she said something that I will forever remember. It's one of my favorite quotes. She says this, everything can look like failure in the middle. See, some of us in this room, we're in the middle. But if you press through and don't give up on your marriage and don't give up on your God-given dream and don't give up on God, you're right on the edge of the breakthrough you've been waiting for. And praying for. And maybe, maybe the struggles you're facing are actually the direct results of the prayers you've been asking God for a better life. 
Maybe God has allowed the pain to come into your life to refine you and help you become the person he's created you to be. See, the scriptures tell us that we can actually count it joy when we suffer. Paul, who was arrested when writing a letter to the Philippians, the people of Philippi that he had led to faith, they were meeting together and reading this letter, and they received this letter as he is sitting in jail. And the only thing he'd done wrong is proclaiming that God is with us and his name is Jesus. And listen to what it says in Philippians 3. He says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. In essence, what he's saying is, we cannot experience the power of new life without experiencing the pain of dying to the old life. There is no resurrection in our life without the crucifixion of our old life. See, all of us will face trouble and all of us will suffer. And how we will respond to that will determine the quality of our lives. Are you going to allow the painful moments of life to draw you closer to God or to repel you from Him? God is always with us even when we cannot feel his presence, even when we've rejected him, God is more tenacious than we are. His love is enduring. His love perseveres. For his love for us is perfect. And you may be thinking, well, why doesn't God just come and rescue us? Just fix this mess, this broken world. And the answer is, he has. And he will. See, we know that God cares because he came and walked among us. That's why 2,000 years later, we still read the stories, the eyewitness accounts of people who saw Jesus, the rescuer, the Messiah, God in the flesh. And we continue to tell the stories from generation to generation how God, when walking among us, healed the sick, and he taught with authority, and then ultimately willingly gave his life, dying on the cross but his love is so real and he truly is God so that he did not remain in the tomb but rose from the dead. See, we follow the living Jesus who is still alive and the scriptures tell us that if you surrender your life and you follow him, you actually have the same power that rose Jesus from the dead living in you, the spirit of God. See, it's in the midst of of suffering that we can actually experience even more of God's presence. He cares for us. And sometimes we will not even understand how much until we're in the midst of pain. But the other beautiful thing that God can do in the midst of our suffering is this. If God didn't give me more than I could handle or allow life to do so, I would never ask for help and understand the benefits of community. I don't know about you, but but I think growing up in America, in the Western world, we're raised to be fiercely independent. And it's a sign of weakness to ask for help. But I can tell you in the moments in my life where I experienced more than I could handle, I needed help. And I experienced God's love through family and friends. They were there for me when I got hit by a car riding my bicycle right after high school graduation. They were there for me and my wife right after our son was born and he needed open heart surgery and had to stay in the hospital for two months before ever coming home. 
They were there for us when we struggled in our marriage. We weren't sure how to make it through the pain in the past. They were there for us when we lost people we loved, family members, close friends. Even there for us when we tried to comfort friends who lost children. See, God's loving kindness sometimes shows up in the context of people that he sends our way. But other times, his loving kindness is found when we go out and ask for help of people that are around us. See, asking for help is actually a sign of maturity. It's an acknowledgement that your pride will not keep you from the help that you need. Humility connects our heart to God and connects our problems to the people that are around us. See, we're all people who will need help at some point in our life. And ironically, that then helps us become better at helping others, which is the third way God can bring good from our suffering. If God didn't give me more than I could handle, I could never be a part of something bigger than myself. See, God invites us to be wounded healers. I know people who've struggled with addiction, overcome that addiction, and now helping other people overcome their addictions. I know people who suffered abuse and have grown up to become counselors and are now helping people who have been abused. I know people who have found life and freedom in Jesus and are now helping other people find that life and freedom in Jesus. I've shared this story before, but when I was in Los Angeles, a, a young woman was new at following Jesus and she was in the midst of really her first crisis. Her name was McCall. And I'll never forget, she came up to me one day and she said, Eric, I'm going through a really tough time and I just, honestly, if I was honest with you, I just wish Jesus were here right now so he could give me a hug. So I looked to the left and looked to the right. I didn't see Jesus. I didn't see anyone else. So I gave her a hug. And then after I hugged her, I, I had this epiphany. I said to her, McCall, I, I had an idea. Whenever you're going through a tough time and you need a hug, I want you to find someone else who, who might be having a tough time as well. Someone else that might need a hug and go find them and give them a hug. And you know what? When you hug someone, they will hug you back. Every time I've ever hugged anyone, they've always hugged me back, except for my mother-in-law. But they're extenuating circumstances, right? <laughs> but every time I've hugged someone, they always hug me back. See, sometimes God brings healing in our lives when we're, bring, uh, when we're willing to try to bring healing into the lives of others. We get to be a part of bringing healing and hope and life to the world around us. So I want you to remember when someone is suffering, don't tell them. Remember, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Instead, say this. Remember, God is with you to help you handle this, and I will be with you too. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. See, God is at work mysteriously. His ways are not our ways. And your darkest, most painful moments can be the moments where you experience the closeness of God you've always longed for. And you can be a source of healing to the people you care for. I don't know if you know the story behind the beautiful hymn, It Is Well. Some of you might remember that song. 
from your childhood. The man who wrote it, his name was Horatio Spafford, lived in the 1800s. He was from Chicago. He was a wealthy attorney and businessman and actually was a supporter of Dwight L. Moody, a famous evangelist at the time. And unfortunately, Spafford's fortune evaporated in the wake of the Great Fire in Chicago in 1871. He had invested in all this property along Lake Michigan, and all of it had burned up. And tragically, right before this financial disaster, leaving him in ruins, his son had passed away. A couple years later, after coming through that horrible time, he knew his family needed a break. And so, together with his wife and four daughters, they were going to board a ship to England where they would be there to support Dwight Moody and his efforts to bring the message of Jesus to the people around them. And, and a business opportunity came up. And so Spafford stayed back even as his wife and four daughters left. And tragically, word came back that an English vessel had charged in, accidentally hit the ship, which sunk in 12 minutes. And if you can imagine the agonizing days, hearing there was a, a wreck, but not knowing if any of your family had survived. And finally, Spafford received a note, a cable from his wife with just two words, saved alone. He'd lost his four daughters. Spafford gets in a ship, the first one he could find to, to join his wife, to be with her. Now they've lost all five of their children. And on his way, he writes these words. Perhaps in the exact spot where his daughters drowned. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I don't know where you're at today. You may not feel well. Things may not be going well, but it is well with your soul. When you trust your heart and your pain to the one who loves you, who's never left you, always been there for you. So what I want you to do in this moment is I want you to listen to this song, a new version of It Is Well, and let God remind you of his love. Think of that moment that has been really painful for you, something you've even struggled to entrust to God, or maybe you blame God for. And allow his peace heal your soul.